I think that my projects that I've been involved in have had a tendency to be successful because I haven't given up, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't, that I did a great job the entire time. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that the beauty, the beautiful story is that they were successful in spite of me. And that should be inspiration for all of us. I'm Steven Tyler, and this is No Indie. Each week on the show, I share a conversation with one of the good people doing their best right here in Indianapolis. This is episode 10, and it is part two of my conversation with the executive director of the Harrison Center, Joanna Taft. If you have not yet listened to the first half of my conversation with Joanna, pause right now and go listen to episode nine. Thank you for listening. Here is part two of my conversation with Joanna Taft. Another bigger project that you've taken on is pre-enact Indy. Mm-hmm. Would you call that a bigger project? Yeah. 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 It's a big deal. How do you, <laughs> how would I want to say this? You seem to have an appetite for the large. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I really do hate that. <laughs> is that true though? Like, <laughs> I yeah. I think I think what I've learned is that I can do hard things, uh-huh. and maybe I'm even called to do hard things. Okay. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I'm called to do hard things, but I but I think I am called to do hard things. Okay. For people that don't know what pre-enact India is, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I'll give you a little bit of background. So the Harrison Center um, has, um, in our 18 years, people would often come to First Fridays and ask about the neighborhoods and ask about buying houses. And we actually ended up being kind of informal realtors, always making connections and, and helping people um, buy and live um, in the these blighted urban neighborhoods. And um, we were very successful. And then we ended up opening the City Gallery. And the purpose of the City Gallery was to help connect people to mm-hmm. culture, community, and place. We had a concierge. The concierge over five years helped connect 650 people to um, housing and urban indie, but also to schools and other things. So in many ways, our work revitalizing the city um, has been very successful. Um, but I think you've probably all heard that there's this big conversation about gentrification across Mm -hmm. the country. And um, uh, for a long time, that was a conversation that irritated me because if you just, if you look at the data um, in Indianapolis, there's has not been a lot of gentrification. I think this latest study was that 2% of our census tracts have gentrified, but 30% of our census tracts have actually gotten worse. And so I would have been, historically, I would have been a little bit irritated by that conversation and said, we need to really focus on the fact that we have neighborhoods that are getting worse. And and the fact that between 1957 and 2010, we we lost 60% of our population Mm. in Center Township. And we don't have more than that population now. You see all these people moving in? We've only stabilized our population loss. We're Mm. still, we're we're still a lot of issues. So I I would have had that conversation with you. But I real I learned several years ago that whether there's two kinds of gentrification, there is economic gentrification and there's cultural gentrification. And I learned that there are a lot of neighbors that maybe are not economically gentrifying, but they still feel like they're gentrifying. They feel mm-hmm. like they're losing their culture, um, whether that's from people moving out or whether that's um, from people moving in or nobody moving. So um, my question was, 
How do you revitalize a neighborhood and not gentrify it? How do you revitalize it and still be inclusive? And I haven't really seen a model for that. Mm-hmm. And so as um, in my conversations with neighbors about what they want their neighbor to be, just historically, they've always talked about the good old days. And um, the real, the good old days really weren't that good. No. <laughs> and so one day we were kind of talking about theater and the fact that the Harris Center doesn't really do theater. We don't have any storage because like we're sitting in the backstage right now, right? Mm-hmm. There's no storage. Um, the sound cave, for those of you listening, we're sitting in a cave behind the stage. It is three, three feet wide and 12 feet long. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So there's no, we have, we've, we use every square inch of the Harrison Center. So we don't have any place for theater storage. So we were kind of talking about that. And I had the idea of what if we were to do some kind of outdoor theater in neighborhoods? And what if, um, you know, neighbors talked about the good old days? Well, that would be a reenactment. Like you go to Connor Prairie and you act out the good old days. But what if we didn't do a reenactment? What if we, what if we did a pre-enactment? And we kind of made up that word right then and there. Reenactment isn't good enough for our neighborhoods. They deserve a pre-enactment. That's kind mm. of what we came up with. And so what we ended up doing was we interviewed um, lots of neighbors and learned their hopes and dreams. And we um, partnered with 13 theater companies. And we chose a three-block stretch of East 16th Street that was pretty blighted. I only knew of one functioning business um, at the time that we were starting this. And then um, the set designers built temporary buildings, 11 temporary buildings on the vacant lots and activated um, three vacant storefronts. And then the actors acted out the hopes and dreams of the neighbors. So acted out a world where there's justice and mercy, acted out a world that was revitalized, but also inclusive. So none of us have ever seen a neighborhood that's revitalized and inclusive, okay? <laughs> so our thought was, what if theater could show it that, show it for us? What if they could act it out, and then we could try it on for a day? And neighbors, you know, neighbors would come, visitors would come, former residents would come, and we would all experience um, what this world looked like, this world that ought to be, what it looks like. Hmm. And so that was the vision, and we came— pretty darn close to, to doing everything we wanted to do. Um, I have learned the phrase, uh, the show must go on through partnering with theater. So there were a few <laughs> things that, that didn't happen, but it really was an amazing day. We, um, we did a, a full day pre-enactment last October. And, um, and during that day, you could experience um, everything from high school kids thinking old um, 80 year old people stories are really cool, you know, to, <laughs> to, um, to different races hanging out together and, and socioeconomics and, um, good quality education for all. And just all the different aspects of what, um, those hopes and dreams that the neighborhoods neighbors had longed for. So we experienced those together. Um, I thought that we had done a good job and I was going to take a break. And, um, shortly after, um, the neighbors came to me and said, we need to keep going. If we really want to be an inclusive neighborhood, we can't just do this one time. We need to continue to act out inclusion so we can kind of um, make sure people that are moving into the neighborhood see that they're invited into an existing story instead of seeing the neighborhood as a blank slate. So the more we can elevate the neighborhood story and act out a neighborhood that's inclusive, a neighborhood with a history that's inclusive, um, 
the better chance we have of it being an inclusive neighborhood. Hmm. All right. So we're doing it again. Uh, I have a lot of money to raise, not a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I think to that point, you referenced this earlier and I've heard you talk about the three factors for a, I'm not going to, I'm going to phrase it right. Uh, three tests for a good uh, test for a good project. Mm-hmm. It's fundable, sustainable, and something the community can be passionate about. Right. Can we talk through those three points? Sure. What do you, what makes a project fundable in your mind? Well, it's not in my mind. It's in the funder's mind. Okay. So <laughs> when we started here in high school, I did stakeholder interviews with about 130 funders. Mm. Um, when we started city gallery, I did stakeholder interviews with funders, you know, is, um, when we did pre-enactment, we talked to funders. So is this something that is fundable? Um, and this was, I was not asking them for money at the very beginning. It was that stakeholder interview to get a sense for whether this is a fundable project. Mm. And if you can determine that your sense is that it's fundable, Mm-hmm. then you know you're going to get funded in the future. Okay. Right? And what are you? What type of information are you sharing in that interview? Um, I think that your, your, your vision and kind of bare bones, it, it depends on the projects, but um, in, in some, um, some projects you kind of need to show the sustainability of it and kind of the, your proposed business plan for it. Others, um, it's a, it's just kind of show the community impact Mm -hmm. depends on what role philanthropy will have, how much in the business model. Okay. Yeah. Um, this particular topic is just interesting to me because I always find the, uh, intersection of good ideas and money don't always align. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you have any other interest or any other helpful tips or things you've learned along the way? about funding a project? Well, I think the stakeholder interviews are key. Okay. Um, I think that that's where a lot of people make mistakes Mm. is they have a great idea and then they immediately start trying to get the funding, but they need to do do the pre-work of of letting funders know and getting funders advice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that you'll be more successful getting Everything's about relationships. Yeah. And so the more you can um, include your funders in the story of your organization and what you're working on, um, I think that the more successful you'll be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sustainable. Yeah. So that's my little pet peeve. Um, I, um, I really get irritated when I see people start things that don't have a sustainability plan. I think it's a disservice Mm -hmm. to the community. So I really like projects to be thought out. So when we started here in high school, we knew that if we could raise the money to acquire the building and rehab the building, which was very expensive Mm -hmm. and get the initial fund seed funding to start the school, we knew it could be sustainable through the fact that we would get per pupil payments from the state. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we knew that, Initially, we were hoping we wouldn't have to do a lot of outside fundraising. Um, we do, you know, we have a lot of capital needs, so we continue to do outside mm. fundraising. But but it's sustainable in terms of it has a good income stream um, from the state. With um, pre-enact Indy, that's not a sustainable model. Mm. Um, and, but the, the um, for me, the... 
there's an opportunity for it to be sustainable. My initial pitch to funders was that we would do this one big pre-enact indie. And then when neighborhood associations are doing home tours or CDCs are trying to improve a corridor, we would have trained actors in this idea of pre-enactment. So pre-enactment understands the backstory, the history of the neighborhood, the pain the neighborhood went through, what caused its decline, whether it was racism or whether it was a highway coming through or whether, you know, whatever the issue was. Um, and then the hope for the future um, doesn't ignore that pain. It comes out of that that pain. And so it's informed by that pain. So um, we knew that if we could train actors in this idea of pre-enactment theater, they would be able to partner and help neighborhood associations and CDCs as they did smaller projects around Mm -hmm. the city. And so that for the sustainability piece for me was that we would have um, a theater community that would be able to be helpful in, in continuing this conversation. Um, So that, that was how that piece was sustainable. Okay. Uh, And then the last qualifier was something the community can be passionate about. Yeah, this is my favorite test. It's the most fun. So I love pitching ideas and seeing whether or not people get excited. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if you're the only if you're the only one getting excited, there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there is a relationship between whether it's something that people get passionate about and whether it's fundable. Okay. Um it's not the same thing, but there's a relationship. Yeah. Do you have any gut sense, like when you have an idea, you're like, oh, this this is something people could get excited about or is really the only test sharing it and getting feedback? Well, I guess I like to think I'm right, right? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's an idea that, well, yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm still, I, so Riverside High School, which mm-hmm. know, here in high school just started a yeah. second campus and that was a project I worked on quite a bit. When I walked through that building for the first time in 2014, it was still a functioning military. Um, uh, I think they had Naval Reserve or something worked there. Um, so I was so excited by the building and I looked at the river and I looked at the building and I thought we could start a Naval Academy. <laughs> I totally wanted to do that. Everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody. <laughs> I still think I was right. I still to this day think we could have done a high school that attracted people from around the state Uh, that would be this classical education because the Naval Academy offers a classical education. Yeah. It'd be this awesome, and they'd have uniform, awesome uniforms. Like think about the Naval Academy. Very distinctive. I think that when you have a product that is, I think product differentiation is really important. Yeah. So I think we would have had that. But, um, Nobody thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I kind of like it. I love it. But anyway, um, you weren't you weren't around, Stephen. So, <laughs> huh? You definitely you have a um, a taste for the pizzazz. Is that right? I think that you need stories, and I think that that people's hearts want stories and want to be want something beautiful to be a part of. And I think that when you can weave together um, a comprehensive story that people could be a part of. I think it's, I think it's something that is important. I love um, waterfront and just in general. Mm -hmm. So the idea of being a high school student sitting in your class and overlooking water in Indiana. Yeah. That's really special and unique. It's really cool. Hmm, Okay. Um, 
I feel like this is going to ter- uh, step in the territory that you don't like, but okay. you are known for a lot of successes. It's, I think you just have a reputation around town of you were part of Hera and you're doing lots of things that are really interesting and making a great impact on the community. Do you have any flops or big failures that you would be willing to talk about? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that the, the what I said before about um, when I was learning to do hair and, and my biggest fear being humiliation, I've had plenty of humiliating moments, you know, mm. of doing things. I don't, I think that my projects that I've been involved in have had a tendency to be successful because I haven't given up, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't, that I did a great job the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the beauty, the beautiful story is that they were successful in spite of me and that that's a good, that should be inspiration for all of us. I love telling our high school students um, a, about my personal failures, you know, mm. and different things. Um, and then the project still being successful just because I didn't give up. So we don't have to be perfect. Mm. Um, it's about that idea of calling, find your calling to give you the courage to keep going when you are when you're not perfect, when you, when you aren't qualified, when you're not, when you don't have the pedigree. Um, we'll start to wrap up a little bit, a big pivot in questioning, but something I'm interested in is porch parties. Uh, can you talk about what they are, kind of how you got started doing porch parties? And I should say that I am part of a neighborhood dinner group inspired by the porch parties oh, yeah, that yeah, meets yeah. every Sunday night. So oh, that's great. We're unsanctioned, but that, no, you're, you're sanctioned. <laughs> um, so in 2007, um, we started hanging out with two other couples in our neighborhood, lived a block away. And um, we would, I think we'd sit on the porch before football games. And I think we called it tailgating. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually we stopped watching the football games <laughs> and just stayed on the porch. And eventually it was called porching. And we would send texts to each other every Sunday afternoon and we'd just say porch, question mark, you know, porch, three o'clock. And eventually we didn't have to send the texts anymore. We just knew that at three o'clock we would porch. Hmm. And so um, so I've been porching since 2007. <laughs> and um, for our family, I remember our kids coming home at college and from college and they'd come home and we would be on the porch with our neighbors and how much my kids loved that. The mm. fact that they, they knew we'd be on the porch. They knew we'd have neighbors on our porch and um, community is a beautiful thing. People, a lot of people feel isolated. And, and so having, having community is um, something we shouldn't take for granted. So knowing how, how important it was for our family, um, we decided to turn it into a Harrison center initiative mm. um, because I wanted to help, other people it's such a simple idea like it's it's such a simple idea and maybe that's the beauty of it so we started a porch party initiative i think it was 2013 or 14 and we started just in Morton place as a little pilot we had about 30 families that participated and um and then we expanded to the urban times neighborhood so i think there are 11 or 12 or 13 urban times neighborhoods and then eventually um we started partnering with Indianapolis 500, and so we've actually had 52 counties participate. Oh wow! And um, this year we did something a little bit different. We really were we decided to think about this idea of neighbors that are gentrifying and neighbors going through change and people feeling left out. And uh, Heron Morton 
um, just went through a rebrand. Um, this is going to come together in a second. Okay. And they, they, um, they rebranded around the ideas of porching, um, the arts and diverse or it being inclusive. Mm. And so I said to them, okay, I love the fact that you want to be inclusive, but that's kind of hard for you. you look, you're a pretty expensive neighborhood now. Um, how are you going to be inclusive? And they kind of looked at me and I said, maybe you can become inclusive through partnership. So we developed a partnership between the Monon 16 neighborhoods of Hillside and Kennedy King and Heron Morton. And we brought the three, three neighborhoods together at the Pagoda at 16th street. Hmm. And through an initial party for them, explain the porch party thing. And then those neighborhoods, like I've had people on my porch from Hillside. I've been over at Hillside Porches. The neighborhood association presidents have been getting together, working on the 6570, but they didn't have a relationship before that, right? Mm -hmm. So they're now working on community issues together. So that porch party thing started out just being for me and my family, but now I see it as being a way that we can bring a lot of healing to our community. We think about the elderly um, residents in Monon 16 that are feeling left out by the change. Mm. How can we um, connect people? How can we connect new neighbors and old neighbors together and um, and feel more part of one community? So that's where we're putting a lot of our emphasis on porch parties this summer mm. is um, helping to get people across socioeconomic and racial lines to porch together. Um, and for more of our neighbors to think about um, not just having eyes on the streets to make our neighbors safe, which was one idea for porching, but how do we um, make our porches bigger? And I mean that in a way that how do we include more people in mm -hmm. our porches? Okay. If someone wants to learn more about that or get involved. Yeah. So we have a hashtag Porch Party Indie. We have a Facebook page for Porch Party Indie. Okay. And there's information that could also mes message us. Um, this is a new question that I'm going to start asking guests, I think, if it goes well. Is there anyone in Indianapolis that you want to say thank you to? Well, the most fabulous person in Indianapolis is Bill Taft. Because <laughs> I cannot imagine, um, I mean, in our home, the the types of things we're we can work on together and we can talk about together and um, how many times he's heard me agonize over, you know, things and um, try to figure things out or ideate while um, I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, he's a visionary. He's amazing. I, I, I think that our, the way that we are able to work together, strengths and weaknesses, complementing each other is pretty great. So, um, I'm thankful for him and I don't think I could have done any of this uh, without having a partner like him at home. So very good. I, I thank you for doing this interview. I find you to be very inspiring. Um, is there anything that you would want to call your fellow Indianapolis residents to do? So you started out the, uh, podcast to talked about connecting mm -hmm. and, um, I, I think that connecting is almost a spiritual gift. Mm. <laughs> I think that it's something that is really needed. I think that um, we need more people to connect people, uh, whether that's inviting people into their homes or whether that's, um, there's lots of different ways to connect, whether it's having them experiencing art or, um, but I, I think that my, I would love it if Indianapolis became a, a place where, we 
would not see our connections as like our black book and our little black book or whatever of how powerful we are, mm-hmm. but our connections as a way to bless more people. Mm. So um, I guess I want people to be more connected, make more connections so they can be a blessing to mm-hmm. more people, use those connections, and then also help people connect, help people connect to culture, community, and place. Um, and I think that when people are connected, they're healthy. Mm. And when people are connected in neighborhoods, neighborhoods are healthy. And when neighborhoods are connected across the city, our city is healthy. So that would be my my benediction. Thank you. Okay. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you online or connect with you? How would they do yeah, that? Yeah, um, I'm Joanna Taft on Twitter and um, Joanna Beatty Taft on Facebook and um, jtaft at harrisoncenter.org for email. Um and I'm a terrible photographer, so don't follow me on, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to throw in? That's it. Thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you. That was Joanna Taft. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and don't forget to leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Find me on the socials at Show and learn more at noindy.com. I'll be back in your feed with a new guest next Thursday morning. Thank you for listening.